Hi, this is Pete from Pete's Auto Repair calling in Chicago. You're listening to Q4 Radio. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Hi, I'm Mike Wallace with a sensational shortening discovery for better baking and frying. It's Procter & Gamble's Golden Fluffo, the first all-new shortening in 40 years. It's rich. Its color is golden yellow. And what a pie it makes. Richer looking, better tasting, more appetizing. But let's hear what Mrs. Thelma Styra, Indiana State Fair baking champion, had to say about Fluffo. I love Fluffo. It makes such a golden brown pie. Oh, man, that's some apple pie. Well, Mr. Wallace, that's a prettier pie than I ever baked with plain white shortening. And look how flaky it is. This yellow Fluffo is such a short shortening. Makes pie crust so rich. Like cooking champions, get richer looking, better tasting, more appetizing results in everything you bake or fry. Get Golden Fluffo. Live from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, just this side of the concrete encrusted banks of the North Branch of the Chicago River, it's the Mike Novak Show. Still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Sunday on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Good planets hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Nothing stopping him from running for president, except for the fear of getting shin splints. Here he is, Mike Novak. Okay, get ready for this. One more time. All right. I'm looking on Facebook here, and I see that my buddy Bill Turk <laughs> writes, Coming up in five minutes, my friend Mike Novak and the Mike Novak Show, the Smokey Robinson of Kale, the Boy George of Arugula, the Bill Nye of Nasturtiums on Q4.org, America's only deep green gardening and environment show. Give that boy a beer ding. All right. Woo-hoo. Uh, thank you, Mr. Turk. I'm uh, glad you're listening, and I hope a bunch of other folks are listening here today. Sitting on my left with a woohoo is uh, Peggy Malecki from Natural Awakenings Chicago Magazine. I'll give you a beer thank ding. Thank you, Mike. Um, and and, uh, and uh, sitting across... Of course, is uh, Boy George himself. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Boy George himself. There you go. Uh, George Brigandi back uh, in action here on on the, the, the Twitter distraction and the Instagram uh, annoyance <laughs> and the Facebook something or other. All those, all those really, really cool things. Uh, and sitting right across from me, oh my goodness, a guy I haven't had the pleasure of talking to in a couple of years, Lori Lewis. Good to be here, Mike. It's great to have you here, Lori. And and you don't even have to travel as far this yeah, time. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Lori Lewis is uh well, he's he's one of the honchos 
at uh, the 48th annual Sheffield Music Festival and Garden Walk. Um, and uh, he's got his poster. He always brings posters. And I'm sure George will be getting that out there. It's uh, already out there. All right, on cool. The Instagram. Oh, on the Instagram. <laughs> the Instagram annoyance. Okay. It's not even in the Twitter sphere. It's na- <laughs> Twitter doesn't deserve it, okay? Twitter doesn't even deserve it. Um, but uh, so today, as some of you might have seen uh, on, on, on the uh, Facebook uh, fussing and the uh, Twitter distraction, um, we're talking garden walks. Why not? I've talked gardening for 18 years, 19 years now in Chicago, and uh, uh, have always been happy to have Lori on the show because not only does he talk about his garden walk and the music festival, which is, what do they call it, the the best festival in Chicago or something? What's it, the nickname? It is the best summer festival ah, in Chicago. Okay, as long as we have that clarified, right. Um, but uh, we answer uh Gardening questions, if you've got them. So if you have a question, you can, you can call it in or at 312-985-7834. What's that number again, Peggy? 312-985-7834. Uh, or you can tweet it or at Mike Now. Uh, or you can take a picture of a question written on a piece of paper and Instagram it to us. Oh no! Or Facebook. Or Facebook it. it. Yeah. That seems like and and really like, like a lot of work just to get a question and out. We should get like Snapchat, and they can snap it to us. No, 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 no not Snapchat. <laughs> do a little Vine Any, video. Anything but Snapchat. <laughs> yeah, but see if they're having their coffee and enjoying the Mike Novak show, they might just be writing it on the napkin at uh, exactly. at the coffee shop. All right. I'll tell you what, if somebody actually does that, we've got to give them a prize. Okay, if somebody actually takes a photo, writes it on a napkin, takes a photo, and posts it on Instagram, I'll give them my car, okay? They can have that. That's, I, I, no, nah. take your golf clubs out first. Yes, uh, well, they are out. So, okay. uh, yeah, hmm. well, we can, Let's see, you got a book? Yep. I could give them a copy of... Uh, of uh, Attack of the Killer Asparagus, but don't we also have one of um, Soil Sisters? We have Soil Sisters. Because we talked to them last year, uh, last, last week. year, last week. <laughs> How time like flies, yes. <laughs> How long has this show been on the air today? It, it feels like weeks. Uh, yeah, we could give um, whichever one they want. If they want, uh, uh, we'll give them a book, whether okay. it's Soil Sisters or Attack of the Killer Asparagus, either one. So yeah, well, here's the way that works. You have to ask a garden question. This is so complicated. Nobody's going to do it. I know that. Uh, But you have to ask a garden question, write it on a napkin, take a photo of it, and then, and I don't care whether they tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it. I don't do Snapchat. So that ain't going to happen. Uh, Maybe George, maybe one of your Snapchat. If if it comes into one of George's Snapchat friends, that's fine too. Okay. (laughs) That's all right. And then, then I'll let you deal and with no it. And no texting either. It's got to be social media. Too. Yeah, right, right. Not No texting. No, so no uh, if, if, if you ask a garden question there, we will handle it. All right, I need to che- check this just for uh, George because he wasn't around last week. Yeah. The problem is on this system, see, I'm, I've got to put it back <laughs> on my own computer. It works better. I don't know why, but on this one, 
See, I'm playing it off of iTunes here at the station. And when I play it off of iTunes on my computer, it stops. Here, it it just repeats. So if I'm, it just keeps doing that. Okay, all right. And we're we not get... that funny. And what else is coming up on the show? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> well, Garden Talks, uh, Garden Walks and Garden Talks. Uh, Lori Lewis is here in the studio. Uh, I found out yesterday there was a brand new garden walk in Uptown. And Matt Cardoni is um, is going to be on the show later this hour and we'll talk to him about that and it's being hosted by the institute of cultural affairs usa and apparently it represents a lot of different cultures uh and interesting gardens and so uh, that came out of nowhere and by the way send us your information about your garden walks we already had that happen yesterday i've got a number of them i got some on twitter i got some on facebook Yesterday, and so we will read off some of those uh, during the course of the program as well. Uh, and you can, as I said, you can always do it at Mike Now. Go to the Mike Novak Show on Facebook, um, Snapchat. It's also the Mike Novak Show, not Snapchat, Instagram. Where's the rim shot? Uh, I hate this. <laughs> all right, there we are. Uh, so all of that, or call. As I said, again, 312-985-7834, and we will do our best to answer your garden questions. All right, that's all the time we have. Good night, everybody. Oh, wait, I didn't finish announcing who's on the show. Almost, Lori, almost got to you there. Okay, okay. Um, and you have to pronounce her name again because I've already forgotten in the second hour. Saima Abasi. Saima Abasi from Go Green Wilmette. They are doing an alternative yard tour mm-hmm. um and that features you know what should not be so alternative anymore which is sustainable practices Lori's nodding because i know he practices yeah. them himself. water management incorporating food into your landscape using native plants well uh, meaning you, you take your banana peels and you throw them into your yard that's how well, i incorporate yeah. food into my yeah. landscape yeah <laughs> hey it's organic right oh yeah doesn't that work not really. Apple cores. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but uh, how to how to garden sustainably, and they actually have a tour in Wilmette about that. The Go Green Wilmette people. So, what's their alternative yard tour? We'll talk about that. Uh, Rick DeMaio weather at nine forty five. He sent me an interesting story yesterday, and it reads in part. Thanks in part to the epic heat wave that sent temperatures skyrocketing in the southwest. Last month, get ready for it, folks. Last month was the hottest June on record for the contiguous U.S., the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration announced on Thursday. Yay! Hooray for us and global climate change. Yay! Chicago, st- Chicago is now Zone Nine. Did you know that? <laughs> we we you heard it first on this show, Zone Nine. Actually, I laugh about that because not so much, but we are getting a little warmer, and you know, mm-hmm. and and partly what and then what happens is somebody okay, technically we're Zone Five A, Five B, depending where you are in the area. Some people will say Zone Six. Um, and then what happens is somebody who's in a 5A, 5B says, I can grow a plant that's a zone 6 plant. Uh, and then we have a winter where it gets down to 20 below and it dies. And, and then you 
realize it's not quite that simple, uh, even with things warming up. It's, it's, that just proves that uh, global warming isn't real. It's a hoax. Yeah, yeah I know. Right. And, and I, you know, and, and for the people who say it's a hoax, I'm trying to figure out who's making all the big money off of this hoax. Who's making the big money off? I mean, well, I know Al Gore made a lot of money. He made well, a movie. He's the one. So he's the only one making the big money off of it because I know that everybody on the other side, the oil people, they're all making great money. But if you look, you know, I know who is. All those research scientists at those universities who are just raking in the big bucks, right? Absolutely. That's, that's where that goes. All those nonprofits. Uh, yeah, all those big nonprofits, right. So uh, Rick DeMaio sent me that story, and he'll be here at uh, 1045 to clarify uh, there's not much to clarify. Each month is hotter than the one that preceded it, and that's how things move along. So, have I covered everything? So, if we hear from folks, uh, we'll answer some garden questions. I may have some garden questions. You might, uh, Peggy. Mm-hmm. George, well, George, you should know, Lori, George has been working at the Chicago Botanic Garden. Uh, what is it you're doing over there, George, besides uh, Instagram? <laughs> yeah, I just take pictures of everything. <laughs> uh, I'm a shoreline habitat conservation specialist. So basically everything 10 feet up from the shoreline and 10 you got to move that microphone a little. Oh, there good. you go. That's better. Everything that's 10 feet above the waterline and 10 feet into the water, I ensure, I ensure the native plants are healthy, the shoreline. So you got like a thriving. 20-foot buffer zone that you cover? Yeah, more or less. Uh, wow. So, you know, controlling and removing invasives or just uh, natives that are very aggressive. Um, and right now, actually, we're also monitoring the uh, zebra mussel population in there. As that wait, wait, wait. A, they've gotten to the Chicago they, Botanic Garden? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Um, how did how did the zebra mussel get into inland waters? Exactly sure, but you have the Skokie River that mm-hmm. runs right along the oh, garden. And so people put their canoes in there. During and... a heavy rain event, uh, it will overflow yep. into the garden. So it may be that way. Or, uh, you know, we do have boats come in and out of the garden every now and then when they do, I don't know, big events or... Uh, water testings of some sort. Unbelievable. So they're not exactly sure, but they are starting to spread in the uh, central lakes. I think this is a tweet. <laughs> yeah. You, you, if you haven't put this out, it's zebra mussels at the Chicago Botanic Garden, <laughs> and it's not part of the exhibit. So, Lori, when you get home, check your pond. I'm going to check the tires on my car. <laughs> yeah. Also, <laughs> before I drive it into the water. Wait, 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 wait. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Um, they, so they grow on everything, rocks, the mm-hmm. intake pipes, uh, the actual like milfoil stalks, uh, the curly leaf pondweed stalks. They're, wow. they're all over the place. I had no idea. Yeah. If, uh, can I ask another, because this has been in the news recently, another terribly invasive, uh, weed that is spreading called wild parsnip. Has if you experienced that in the garden yet? Is that an aquatic species? It or? can grow in most commonly in roadside ditch, ditches where, uh-huh. of course, you're going to have uh, a lot of wet conditions. Sure, sure. But I've seen it uh, in Illinois. I've seen a lot of it in Michigan, and it's extremely poisonous to the touch. Um, you know what? I have not encountered any, but I will uh, ask our shoreline maintenance crew. Um, as they work further up the shoreline and do more of the uh, maintenance, okay. uh, where I think you would find those as opposed to in the water itself, um, and get back to you. Well, just the other week, um, I got a report 
let's see. A plant health report. Um, here we are from Sharon Yisla. I'm not even sure if that's how you pronounce her name. Uh, she's uh, at the Morton Arboretum. Your competition, George. Uh, <laughs> Don't listen, George. <laughs> Um, she wrote, you may have seen, and, and so I posted it because I hadn't, I hadn't, I had missed the, the local story. Apparently a couple of the local TV stations did a thing on wild parsnip. Um, and, um, she wrote, you may have seen a story about wild parsnip on the local news last night. This is certainly a plant of concern, but it should not be a reason to panic. If you need some facts about this plant, here is a link to a good brochure coming out of Minnesota, and then she put the link to that. And that seems to be, you know, the only issue, one of the issues, hello, all right, let's turn that off. One of the issues um, is that it looks like golden Alexander, which is a native species. Mm -hmm. However, they bloom at different times. Excuse me, they bloom at different times. And uh, Golden Alexander, which I have in my yard, so I better be careful I don't get wild parsnip. Um, Golden Alexander blooms earlier, May. Uh, Wild parsnip blooms June. Wild parsnip is also larger. It's taller. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and the leaves are uh, slightly different. So, uh, I I could send that. We could post it again. Well, there we go. What's this? Uh, That's wild parsnip. A picture I took uh, bike riding in southwest Michigan. Wow. Nice. There's a whole, whole patch of it. This of is course about there is. Yeah. Three, three weeks ago in bloom. And one of the key characteristics, the lower single stem uh, has reddish streaks in it. Mm. Okay. But That's good to know. And it's a huge stem. It's very it's a it, huge. It, it it's looks like thick. it's almost like a square stem. How, how tall was that standing? That was actually about four feet. Wow. Yeah. And uh, if you touch the plant or any part of it, uh, the it will cause almost like a uh, first or second degree burn on your skin. Much, much worse than poison ivy. What's interesting is that the root is edible. Huh. Is it a phototoxin or um, does it? Is it just upon touch? Just upon touch. Okay. Yeah, because I know we have a greater angelica up there at the garden, and that's a phototoxin plant. So if you touch it and then are exposed to sunlight, mm-hmm. uh, you break out. And is it like poison ivy light. if it's burned and you inhale it? Oh, if you burn poison ivy, you can... If you're allergic to it, you can still get oh, the oil coming man. in the smoke. Even <sighs> uh, even dead poison ivy. Ugh. It's still toxic. Yeah, plenty of that oh, yeah, yeah. Po- poison ivy. I've, I've had my run-in with poison ivy. Um it's, I've told this story many times, but back when I... Oh, look at that. More wild parsnip. You have lots of photos of that there, Lori. Lori's going through his cell phone now. <laughs> this is a guy who won't tweet, all right? And this is a guy who and won't, won't go on Facebook. Facebook. And, those, and you can post this so easily. Those are great pictures. Instagram pictures so, right there. Yeah, Instagram. there we go. I, Instagram. I can post my, my camera my to the wall here. <laughs> just put it... Yeah, you can hang it right on the wall. We've got a nail, and you can just put that uh, thing right up there. Laurie George is, is going to have you send it to him, and he will post them on Twitter. Great. Great. So you guys figure out how to communicate. Um, so the upshot is, uh, yeah, you, you want to pay attention. Uh, when they had the, the, the articles uh, in, or, or rather the news stories, I think it was on Fox, local Fox News 32 and uh, NBC Chicago. 
Uh, one of them had a woman in her backyard, and she had like a whole stand of it in her backyard. And she didn't oh. realize that it, you know, it looks pretty. You know, you're right, it. just like the uh, the uh, golden, golden Alexander. Alexander. Yeah, absolutely. This uh, the uh, the flowers on the wild parsnip form like a uh, an umbrella shaped uh, umbrella. Yeah, and that's that's one of the giveaways right. on it. It's uh, umbrella shaped, um, and and uh, like we said, it, it looks like golden Alexander, but blooms at a different. It's, let's put it this way: golden Alexander is done right now. All right, so it's not blooming. It's still growing, but the wild parsnip is blooming, and you can find it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, be careful. Hey, folks, be careful out there. Um, let's and, see, Annie Haven uh, yeah. tweeted, yeah, same with poison oak can get you with pollen in the air as well. Uh, one of the things that folks think that you can do is burn poison ivy, which is one of the dumbest things ever. Because you will just inhale that smoke, and then you've got the urushiol inside you, which is the the chemical that makes you miserable. That makes you miserable. Yeah. So, so if you inhale it, is it you start wheezing? Do your lungs close up? How, how does it affect you in that? I, I think so. Oh. Stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. I Terrible. I mean, I could look it up. I know it's not good. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever it is. It's probably similar to what happens externally. Yeah. So there we are. That that's the fun part of the show. Things that can hurt you in the garden. You know what? Everything <laughs> can hurt you in the garden. If you when you think about it, Lori, gardening is kind of dangerous, isn't it? Um, you know, you can. Uh, I've had a red winged blackbird come close. Uh, I was gardening oh, in God. Michigan. Mm-hmm. You know, that's pretty dangerous. Well, I had a red winged blackbird come close to me when I was golfing. That is so you know, they, they're just very job. protective. <laughs> oh, really? Every day of your job? Oh, my God. There are, uh, you know, 10 birds every 20 yards on the, uh, the lake. And they're all attacking you? Oh, yeah. A, a lot of them have hatched now, but I used to think it was just males. No, the females come after you, too. And yeah. They look more like sparrows. Oh, they are... I'm going to say some bad words. I, <laughs> Don't say them, please, yeah. on this show. Please do not swear, <laughs> swear on, on the, the air. Uh, there's a note right there on the wall. <laughs> they'll, they'll get you out the of nowhere. The Q4 people have advised us. But that, the good thing is you can hear them first. They're going to give you a little bit of a that, warning that before that eerie, they target your head. Yes. Yeah, but if you have headphones in, that's when they surprise you and almost knock you over. In the well, boat. see. Nobody, you know, you got to pay attention to your job, dude. <laughs> what, you think you drive with headphones on, too? Come on. <laughs> They're going to let you near the water with well, headphones on? I what? text and drive all the time. And <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's better. <laughs> that's while he's taking pictures that's, and posting to Instagram. Exactly. <laughs> Double tasking. It's my generation's uh, thing. That's true. Um, yeah. All righty. <laughs> uh, Laurie Lewis is here in the studio to warn us about gardening. Yes, here we go. Let's talk about all the dangers. No, I was thinking, well, you know, you bend over and your back goes out. Um, you, you stab yourself with a pitchfork. Uh, you... Cut you yourself with a pruning saw. Cut yourself with a pruning saw. I've done that. Done all. Done them all. Or better yet, when you're pruning a branch, the branch falls on you. <laughs> or, or as one of our friends, Kathleen, and I have a friend who I uh, was talking about pruning my tree out back, and he said, "Yeah, just lean a ladder against it, and then you." And, you, <laughs> and, and it made me wonder if he had ever watched any Looney Tune cartoons, uh, because we know what happens when that. Actually, the. The how does that work? The tree falls and the ladder just stays there. If you're the good guy, if you're Bugs Bunny, if you're Wiley Coyote, well then you get smashed into a well, thousand bits. Well, then the ladder bits. falls 
and then you're hanging hanging in midair for a second, and then you fall. And then you fall. All those good things. Yeah. Uh, but actually, this is the time of year when people uh, showcase their gardens, and one of the great festivals of the city is the Sheffield Music Festival and Garden Walk. It's the 48th. So in two more years, you've got 50 years on this Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Yes, and what's interesting, uh, this started in 1969, and Sheffield was, you know, it was not a, you know, it was a, not a great neighborhood at that point. No, and, no. And uh, it's amazing how neighborhoods change. When I moved to um, Chicago in the late 70s, uh, you didn't want to go to Old Town. That was a scary place, uh, and it's and, and, and Wicker Park was like, you you know, might as well be. Deadwood, okay. Uh, I was, I don't know, South Dakota. Uh, but, yeah, as you're saying, I can't even imagine the Sheffield area like that. Yeah, it's, uh, what's interesting is at that time, I think in the first garden walk, there were about 10 gardens. Mm-hmm. But the big thing in that garden walk was not so much the gardens. It, people had, there were about uh, 50 garage sales. And at that time, the city had no problem when people had garage sales, and people started walking through the neighborhood, going, you know, looking at the garage sales, and, oh, yeah, and here's a nice garden. And (laughs) slowly but surely, I think an awareness created by the Sheffield Garden Walk uh, and the natural gentrification of uh, the Lincoln Park area, uh, Sheffield became a, a very vibrant neighborhood. Um, and uh, this year we have 95 gardens. And that's, that's up because it's, it's gone up and down over yes, the past because I've watched and I, I was a judge when you were having judges. Right, uh, right. In fact, I put a photo up on my website of you, John Iskandari and uh, Bill Aldrich, oh, yeah. who started Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. And the four of us were judges for a couple of years. Right. Uh, and we would just wander around and, 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 you know. <laughs> have fun and, and look at some really terrific gardens um uh you don't do that part of it but at that time there was an ebb of uh the gardens and you were finding it actually kind of difficult to get people in why do you think that was and i think um there were a number of issues i think people uh, uh sometimes had a fear of having uh, uh you know visitors come to their backyard for security reasons um I think there was a time, you know, uh, you know, going back, uh, that people, uh, you know, the neighborhood was aging and older people just weren't interested in gardening. And what's happened, especially in the last couple of years, especially uh, the garden, the the has become a lot younger. Excuse me, the neighborhood has become a lot younger, and you have a lot more families, and that is tied to. Uh, our local schools have uh, become magnet schools, and people are now sending their kids to these schools and not to the expensive private schools. And I think with a lot of publicity uh, in the press about uh, gardening and native habitats and so forth, I think people are getting a new awareness uh, to, uh, to gardening and the outdoor life. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and I'm glad they are. And, and I imagine you're seeing some of the same stuff that we're going to be talking about in the second hour with Go Green Well Met, which is people doing it more sustainably, being Absolutely. smarter about it. Absolutely, because 
uh, our resources now are, you know, more limited. And people think, for example, well, I live in the city of Chicago. I can water all the time and so forth. And well, now now we're on meters. It now used we're to, on meters, right? Yeah. Well, and, and, and not everybody. Obviously, the city is still encouraging people to do that. And actually, if you do live in the city, they have jacked the rates up uh, if you're not on a meter so high. You really should get one because, you know, I did a couple of years back and, and I waited too long. But that's because I was using um, my hose to water our community garden. So, uh, but I did. And, and really, it's much more economical Absolutely. to be on the city meter. They had for, for the longest time. I, I would tell people, I say, well, we're, we're not metered here in Chicago. And, you know, people in the suburbs would say, what? What? How does that work? Um, I have no idea. Yeah, like like Peggy. <laughs> oh yeah, I get that North Shore Sanitary District bill every quarter. Yeah, well, we get our uh, we get our uh, water bill now, and I believe um, the uh, garbage pickup is attached to it now, isn't it? Yeah, they yes. added that on there because they started charging mm-hmm. for garbage pickup as well. Which, tell you the truth, I don't have a problem with that. Um, uh, philosophically, I do have a problem if I think it's going into a slush fund, but I think that, you know, folks th- assume that they can, and in my neighborhood, there's a couch out there in, in the alley every week. There's a mattress right now next to my house. I'm like, how many mattresses can you throw out in the course of a lifetime? Where does this stuff come from? Where does it come? They breed them. They breed mattresses in the basement and then they take them out in the alley and and they expect the city to pick it up. And unfortunately, the city will. The city just says, well, you know, if it's there, we'll try to get it. And I think that's bad policy myself. My feeling is if it's a couch, leave it and then make them, make the folks deal with it. instead, Because it's, you know, you could try to reuse it, sell it, dismantle it, whatever. But folks just they just drag it out to the alley, assume the city's going to pick it up. But I'm ranting here, Lori. But, of course, you and I rant on various things. Let's not rant about the city of Chicago. <laughs> Yet. Yet. We'll get to it. Well, um, one of the things i got to ask you, though, is about the music part of this. Because how long have you been involved in the walk? I've, this is my 20th year. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And the music has, has okay, it's, it's like a tidal wave. It seems to, in a sense, have kind of overwhelmed the garden walk part of the festival um you know without just so i mean even if you look at the poster the garden and garden walk is in smaller type than sheffield music festival um so how is how has that made your role change it it really hasn't um we were uh first and foremost a garden walk in fact i still refer to it as the Sheffield Garden Walk. Now, I know you do. And, and my question was, you're co-chair. Are you co-chair just the Garden Walk or of the whole I'm thing? I'm co-chair of the entire festival uh, okay. with Patty Hayes. And I think what's uh, what's become of this festival, it's a festival <clears throat> put on by a non-for-profit organization in order to raise proceeds uh, to invest within the neighborhood, the schools, the parks, other social service agencies, uh, and the uh, users of those proceeds, the donations that come from uh, the Sheffield Neighborhood Association through the Garden Walk, they have lost 
millions of dollars because the government entities, state, federal, and local, no longer have money like they once did. And the schools in our neighborhood have to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars in order to sustain themselves, hire additional teachers. Uh, We do a beautification program around the Sheffield neighborhood where we uh, have uh, sidewalk planters at uh, 65 different locations that we plant. We've been doing this for 15 years. We plant flowers uh, uh, throughout the summer and do a winter uh, holiday arrangement. And uh, we get numerous comments on that. Uh, In fact, other neighborhoods around the city have copied what we started in 2000. Uh, So the purpose of the festival is, first and foremost, uh, we want to raise money to help uh, the things in our neighborhood uh, that need the money. And doing it through viewing of gardens and uh, what's happened as, uh, as, you know, years have gone past, uh, music has become the big uh, event. And if you look at all the for-profit festivals, Lollapalooza and so forth, they raise millions and millions of dollars for themselves. And everyone has kind of forgotten about the neighborhoods. Mm. And, and you can't charge we, we are, admission. We are, you can only take a donation, right? We are not able to charge uh, uh, a, uh, an admission, even though we close off a street and still allow people to walk down the sidewalk. But the city has a policy, not a law, that says we can't do that. But the city, it's okay. All right, let's back that up for a second, though. That's an interesting distinction. It's not a law. It's not against the law to charge admission. It's just a policy. That's correct. It's like actually recycling. There's not a recycling law. It's just simply city policy. Uh, So in your case, city policy is, well, we don't want you to charge and if you do, what would be the repercussions? Repercussions is they would close us down. A, a festival this big, they would have no... They have no problem closing us down. Wow. Okay. So your goal is to get people to make, what, a $10 contribution? $10 donation, which, you know, in this day and age, it's not a lot of money. No. People have no problem spending $100 a day to go to Lollapalooza <laughs> or any of those other festivals. Uh but we have, or by uh, at your festival, brewskis and uh, mm-hmm. other stuff that's there. We, so, how many people do you think, on average, actually make a contribution to the festival? We at at this point in time, we get about fifteen thousand people that come to the festival, and probably uh, one third of those people, at least, do not make the donation, which is, you know, it's sickening. But what's also interesting, it's rude, is what what's it also is. interesting it's, is. We also get about 4,000 people to come view the gardens. Yeah. And our collection rate on the people viewing the gardens, because we hand out the guidebooks at a different mm-hmm. location, is probably uh, 98%. Gardeners are good people. Gardeners That's, are great. Gardeners are great and people. And they appreciate what, we, what the people in the neighborhood have done with their gardens. We put out a nice guidebook for them describing the gardens, and they're more than happy to make that uh, contribution. So the city of Chicago uh, and the uh, and the henchmen for the current mayor 
don't seem to appreciate the neighborhoods, and this is something we have been fighting with our aldermen. Mm. And the uh, city law department actually— And, wait, wait, and is aldermen on your side or not? Aldermen are, is the, are definitely on our side. Okay, good. Uh, in the 43rd, 44th, 32nd, and 2nd wards, which okay. is where most of your festivals occur. And the city law department okayed the right for us to do it. And what's even more interesting, we would even pay an amusement tax to the city of Chicago, who is just rolling over in money at this point, I believe, aren't they? Chicago has a, has a budget surplus of billions of dollars. <laughs> I am. I know this, you're being facetious there. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, but uh, and then one of uh, the the mayor's henchmen uh, nixed it, just mm. like that. Wow. No reason. No reason. We they wouldn't even give us give an opportunity to meet with them. Uh, you know the neighborhood itself, but Old Town, Wrightwood neighbors, uh, and ourselves. We're we're first and foremost. Uh, trying to get this done and we're going to keep fighting the city and uh how, how do you how do you make that policy change how does that happen this, is, is, how do you make the brahm says okay i think that's a good no, idea no no no. what i mean is how do you how do you leverage him how do you m- make him see i mean as you say it's money for the city that's correct um this obviously more money than they're getting right now they're getting zero yeah so anything better than zero is better than um, zero. How do you so use are le- closed and they're getting zero? Yeah. How well, do you, don't they have to put out cops? Aren't they losing money? They're losing money yeah. because we pay for our own security, and we've never had a problem. Yet the cops will send at least twenty officers that stand around all day doing nothing and uh, wasting their time. As far as I'm concerned. Hmm. Are, are they afraid of other festivals popping up if they allow if they start allowing? No, this I don't you, think. Or, no, I don't no. think that's the case because you can't just do a festival just like that. You've got to have tremendous financial uh, backing. I mean, our festival costs a couple hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars just to set yeah. up before we even start. Come on, they've got red foo on the main stage for crying out and, loud. And the other thing is, uh, the aldermen, there are a lot of festivals now more than ever, but aldermen uh, are limiting new festivals from starting because the streets can't handle it. Every weekend you close a certain street. And our and, street... and you're surprised by it because, you know, you don't know where all the festivals exactly, are. Exactly, exactly. So I think it's fine uh, that they, they limit the number. There's certainly a plenty of entertainment in the summer in Chicago and and uh, and the aldermen have a good handle on that, but uh, the average person's not going to all of a sudden say, "Hey, I'm going to start a festival," you know, and I'm going to do it uh, some weekend in July or August. And and the the other point is that it's not as if you guys are a fly by night, all right? There, you know, if you're doing it on a case by case basis, there's there's an argument to be made for maybe a half a dozen festivals in the city of Chicago who have track records mm-hmm. that do it right that's always under control uh they they know what they're doing uh at, to give them a chance to make a little money on this and for the city to make some money you no know, it's i mean the effect that a festival like ours as well as others have on the entire neighborhood is uh, is incredible the Armitage Merchants Association over on uh, all the shops along Armitage and Halstead 
the biggest weekend every year is not Black Friday, but the Sheffield Garden Walk weekend because they all have a uh, sidewalk festival uh, along Armitage and Halstead, and with the additional influx of people uh, in the Sheffield neighborhood, they absolutely love the Garden Walk and do very, very well. That's Laurie Lewis. He's the co-chair of the 48th Annual Sheffield Music Festival and Garden Walk. I should also mention he's a master gardener, Illinois master gardener. So there's two of them here in the room. Um, unless, anybody else? Do I see any other? No? Okay. Not yet. Uh, and I think Peggy has a green thumb. She does, actually. She has given me plants from her yard. We're, now we're in the swapping pa- plants, not pants, but plants phase. Swapping pants would be really weird. Uh, but but um, uh, Lori has been – oh, and here's something else we can get started on. Lori was Gardener of the Year back when the city of Chicago actually did uh, the – what did they call it? The uh, Mayor's Landscape Escape. Awards right. Program. Right. And, Mayor's Landscape. And, and the operative word there, Mike, is it was the mayor's. So this didn't start with – Richard M. Daly. It didn't start with uh, Sawyer before him. It didn't start with. Uh, it started in the mid fifties. Oh yeah, it goes way back. Yeah. And it's gone through mayor after mayor after mayor, and it has become a. It became a huge uh, uh, event for gardeners of all walks of life. And a way to bring communities together and different communities together in a, in, in a world that seems to have gone a little bit mad and we don't trust anybody. What was a really good way to engender some trust? I don't know. Put a bunch of people from all over the city in the same room together and they had one thing in common. They loved to garden. And it didn't cost the city anything to do this. And um, I made a lot of people happy. Uh, my little uh, community garden on the very last year that they did these awards won a third place award, and those kids were ecstatic. And so were we, you know, running the garden. It was cool. Uh, so the, one of the first things, you know, Rahm Emanuel comes in and does two things right away that just sort of give him away in terms of the environment. One, he dismantled the Department of the Environment. See ya, wouldn't want to be ya. Uh, and then he cancels the mayor's landscaping award ceremony which didn't cost him anything at all so what message are you sending to us mr mayor i'm kind of curious about that you don't care about gardening you don't care about the earth you don't care about what tell me about about neighborhood or uh yeah enthusiasm or about neighborhoods getting uh binding uh together with one common goal Okay, we're really late for uh, some commercials. It's uh, Lori Lewis. We'll get back to and we and we actually have to talk about some of the gardens too because uh, you got ninety five of them in this year, and we will do that. And we got to get to Matt Cardoni from Uptown. Can I ask you to stick around for the second hour too? Absolutely. Okay, because we got you know this this converse. You know, it's it's not where I thought the conversation was going to go. But that's okay, because when Lori and I get together, we, we rant a little bit. Uh, we've been both doing this long enough. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show on Q4 Radio. I still haven't seen a napkin um, with a garden question on it, a, f- a photo on any of my social media. I don't know why that is. Oh, well, well. Uh, most of us hate to think 
Really. Admit it. You'd rather break rocks in the hot sun than try to figure out the New York Times crossword puzzle. Or maybe I'm just projecting. But the July-August issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine will tax your tired brain just a little bit with its root pruning primer. And yes, that's the way you pronounce it. No, I'm not talking about the word root. Anyway, most of us have no idea what to prune on top of the plant, let alone dig it up and figure out what's going on down there. No guarantees, but you might actually learn something by reading this story. Speaking of learning, my column is on the inside back page. You might also learn how to avoid that particular page. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com. But if you're in parts of the Midwest or the South, and oh, and you need this, don't you, huh? Which one? Okay, sorry. And in the middle of my commercial, let me try that again. But if you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600, 888-265-3600. Peggy. Did you know that Genesis is the Midwest's largest source of airbrush supplies? Find out more at chicagoairbrushsupply.com or artsupply.com. Or stop into their showroom at 2525 North Elston and say that you heard about them on Q4 Radio or the Mike Novak Show, and you'll get an extra 10% off their already discounted prices. Genesis, Chicago's only privately owned art supplier, serving all of Chicago's artistic framing and drafting needs since 1946. Trying to weather the housing market? Consider replacing your windows and siding. Remodeling Magazine says they're some of the nation's most popular projects today. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling and energy needs. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. Did you know Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? Hi, I'm Peggy, and I know this is true because for six years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you do need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicagoland who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga instructors, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie.
I'm not sleepy, and there is no place I'm going to. Name the artist. Jingle, jangle morning. I'll come following you. <laughs> okay, who is who is that? Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson. <laughs> Sounded a little Irish to me. Yeah, a little bit. Well, he was trying to put that little Irish thing on there. Wait. My hands can't feel to grip. My toes too numb to step. Wait only for my boot heels to be wandering. <laughs> William Shatner, folks. Oh, Ladies and gentlemen, William Shatner. Uh, there we go. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show. Uh, Lori Lewis is here in the studio. We're talking about the uh, garden walks. Um, I want you to tell me what the latest trends are as you see them in the neighborhood. And, I, and I'd be interested whether you think the trends in city gardening are much different from uh, suburban gardening. I don't know how often you get out to the burbs. You're well, a city guy. I, I go north of Wrightwood once in a while. Um, I think there is <laughs> a trend. That's a good one. I like that. Okay. There is a trend, and I noticed this, especially in the uh, nurseries that uh, that I work with, there is an increasing trend in the use of native plants, uh, both shrubs, trees, and uh, perennials. But it's not—it's very, very slow because the availability of those plants is not—is <clears throat> not great. Okay, this is very—it's a very interesting point because this is something I railed against. I don't know, ten. 15 years ago and said, hey, uh, all right, here's where I first noticed it. I was I was out in California, and um, Kathleen's sister wanted me to do a little something for her yard. And so I did all this research about native California plants and on, on how we were. I was going to put stuff in, and, and it would look great, and they would be really sustainable. And then I went to the nursery, and all they had were petunias and the same stuff that I can get here in the mid, you know, marigolds. And I thought, what? You know, I could be in suburban Detroit, Chicago, um, I could, apparently New York, Atlanta. It's all the same. In California, it was the same too. And it was a little bit disturbing to see that. I think what what is being done, and it's very slow, is a, it's a form of education. Uh, exactly. People go to a garden center, whether it's a big box store or uh, or a normal garden center, they buy what's on display. They yeah, buy, yeah. and if you notice, most garden centers somehow always display plants that are always in bloom. <laughs> and yeah. the people, if you ask the, the, the service people at the garden centers, do you have anything that's native? Uh, oh, we have a coneflower, but... There are only a few native coneflowers, but they will have maybe a dozen different types of uh, echinacea on display, uh, most of which are cultivars or nativars. And uh, that's what the breeders have done and made 
millions upon millions of dollars is they've put breeded characteristics into plants uh, that people, they think, people will really enjoy. Well, yeah. And the operative word is people. They didn't ask the wildlife what they may enjoy. That's true. Well, and, and like you're saying, it's the education. I had posted um, on my own Facebook page a couple weeks ago after we were talking butterflies. I went, I, I'm in Highland Park, so I don't have a lot of selection of garden centers. And I was so happy to find out that one of them now has four native, or th- all three native um, milkweeds and another milkweed. And I asked them why they brought them in, and they said people are starting to ask for them. Yes, you know, milkweed in particular has been uh, one of those plants because of the... Oh, and, I, and I've got a report on the monarchs here I want to get to in a little bit, uh, and it's not good news. Uh, but it's very specific. It's a very specific genus that people can wrap their heads around. Um, if you keep it broader, it's harder for them to focus. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like you say, they'll go in and they'll be dazzled by what's in yeah. bloom right there and by the way you mentioned box stores and and my i just tell folks flat out don't buy your plants at box stores for one main reason you keep buying them at box stores there will be no independent garden centers period they will go out of business and that's reason enough uh everybody well i can save i can save 50 cents on a plant really you know i i've noticed that the prices really are not that different but that's just me but they're not educated to know what they're looking for. They're looking for the pretty shiny things that they saw on HGTV or, yeah. or whatever on the Internet, top 10 plants for your garden website. Well, while we, uh, I've got them on, uh, on the Skype, I think, uh, let's bring in Matt Carter. Oh, <laughs> I still got Mr. Tambourine Man there. Hold on, stop. I was playing. There That's iTunes. Go. Okay. Uh, uh, Matt, are you there? I'm here. Yes, it's it's great to have you on the program. Uh, where are you uh, in Chicago? I'm in Uptown. Uh, yeah, Uptown area, part of Chicago, just south of Montrose. Okay. Well, of course you are because you're part of the Uptown Garden Walk, which is having its inaugural event this year. Tell me about how that came about. Exactly. Well, uh, we had an, a Garden Hub Day in February where we invited some of the community members to come and we asked them what they wanted to see in uptown, what they wanted to do. And we did a brainstorming session and there was a resounding support for an interest in a garden walk where we could uh, have a free way for people to get out into the community and enjoy nature and be active and meet their neighbors. Uh, But not only that, you've got the Institute for Cultural Affairs USA involved. Uh, What's that all about? Yes, they are the organization who really structured the whole thing. They, uh, they provide a space and they, they provide a format where they invite people and they, they put the, the volunteer manpower behind it and uh, really organize the whole thing. Uh, and I went to the – you've got a Facebook page, um, which is uh, – tell me what the Facebook page is again. So it's uh, – the link is uh, facebook.com slash, I believe, Uptown Garden Walk. Yeah, just um, if you just type in Uptown Garden Walk. Um, yeah. And from what I can see, you have different, uh, different uh, I don't know, uh, places that you can go, different parts of the garden. How does that work? Yeah, so we structured the walk into three different components. Um, there's one that starts at 10 a.m., one that starts at 1 p.m., and one at 7 p.m. 
and they're focused on three different themes. Uh, the morning one is sidewalk gardens, so you'll be able to uh, tour some uh, Sheridan Park and Buena Park neighborhoods um, for the gardens that you can see from the sidewalk. Uh, and then you'll see uh, for the 1 p.m., there's a coastal gardens where we explore the gardens along the coastal area of Uptown. Mm-hmm. And then the heritage gardens, which starts at 7 p.m., uh, where it's more focused on the historical component of the gardens in the area. Wow, that just keeps uh, it going all day long there. Exactly, yeah. Um, have you seen uh, many of these gardens yourself, Matt? I have. Um, I haven't seen all of them, so I'm looking forward to seeing all of them. Um, I'm going to be leading a couple of the tours, uh, and we're going to be practicing the walkthrough this week. So uh, I'll be much more familiar with it by Saturday. That's right. Now, it's Saturday, this coming Saturday, July 16th. Um, uh, Lori's is not until the 23rd and the 24th. I guess we should make that also clear for the Sheffield Garden Walk. But your garden walk is this Saturday uh, July 16th, uh, and as you said, at 10, what, 10, 1, and 7 p.m., right? Correct, yes. Uh, now, obviously, folks can go to Uptown Garden Walk on Facebook if they don't have that available, because there are people in the world who are not on Facebook. Uh, how do they get in touch with you? So, great question. The ICA's website has uh, information about it as well. It's ICA-USA.org. Uh, and just, again, search for Uptown Garden Walk. Um, so it's, uh, pretty, it's easy to find. And, um, and the information about it, there's also an interactive uh, map on there, so you can find out you know, uh, some history about each of the gardens and some photos and to, to get a little research before you attend the, the walk. How many different cultures do you think are going to be represented here? Well, that's one of the wonderful things about Uptown. Uh, it's one of the most diverse neighborhoods in all of Chicago. Uh, Uptown is also a very green uh, neighborhood, so it's, uh, I think, Clarendon Park specifically, they did a poll where 75% of the people in this area uh, use green transportation to commute to work. So it's a very publicly transportation accessible area, and, um, and the diversity of the gardens also reflects the diversity of the neighborhood and the people that live here. Well, that's just fantastic. Well, I'm so glad uh, that I found out about this garden and that you and I were able to uh, communicate about it. And, of course, it's because um, of one of your friends uh, who uh, is a uh, a Twitter friend of mine, uh, Shannon Grieve. And uh, I wish you all the success uh, this Saturday uh, with the various garden walks, uh, well, the, the big one, and, of course, all three uh, of the uh, subsets of the garden walk. Well, wonderful. Uh, we're really gra- glad to be a part of this show, and, uh, and we're excited to get the airtime. So thank you very much. Well, it's, you know, uh, Lori and I would, and Peggy, I think, would agree that uh, any way that you can bring people together is a good thing in the city, and what better way than through gardening? So much success to you, Matt. We fully agree. Thank you so much, Mike. All right, take Thank care. Thank you, Matt. The second hour of the show, Lori is sticking around, and um, we've got Go Green Wilmette. Uh, what? We've got a question. we got a question. What kind of butterfly is this? I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if that's an – have you looked, tried Admiral? I'm not sure that's an Admiral. Snappy J Dog sent us a, a, a Twitter photo. Lori probably. I don't remember exactly. I've taken photos of that particular one before. Captain's log started 
The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Broadcasting live every Sunday from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Here he is again, Mike Novak. We're having an argument here. Not an argument, a discussion. Mississippi Delta was shining like a national Meanwhile, Paul Simon sings. That's just one of the best albums ever of all, of all time. Hold on. I didn't. Uh, yeah, you know, there's not a bad song on there. Um, and uh, one of the discussion that George and Lori were having off air is about native ours. We were talking about native art. And, and some of you are going to say, what's a native art? What do you mean when you say native art? Well, you're talking about a native plant that has been hybridized. And it doesn't mean that they shot salmon genes into it. It's not, you know, this is the old-fashioned way where you take plants and you cross-pollinate them and you create new plants. And some of them have been bred, for instance, uh, and we talked about it on on the show before, uh, Dan Costa from Vern Gore's Greenhouse. uh, And I had a little discussion about Monarda didyma, which I have in my yard, which is a really nice, you can get bright, nice bright colors of Monarda. But it's not the same as Monarda fistulosa, which is a, uh, a native plant in our prairies here. And usually the colors are brighter. That's why they're bred, so they can uh, – and the, uh, is, the question is, is our, our native populations of insects and other animals benefited from native ours in the same way they, they are from native plants? And Lori, what? How do you handle that? I, there is, I know there is research, but I will tell you it's not the, you know, all, all, uh, every all hands on deck in doing this research because there are many plant high, uh, breeders in this country that make their living on coming up with new cultivars that. Different colors, different size plants, longer blooms, and so forth. And the average person, that's what they look for in gardening. If you go through neighborhoods, especially in the Lincoln Park neighborhood, maybe the most common plant, we had this before, 
would be the boxwood. The boxwood. The ubiquitous boxwood. And why do people like a boxwood as versus some other? There are plenty of native shade plants, shrubs, trees, perennials that can grow in those same locations. But why do they like boxwoods? Well, because they're they're in all the garden centers you go to, for one thing. That's just one of the answers. They have What's an interesting an... smell. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah. And? And you can, and people, more people <laughs> seem to like a formal look, which is not natural, but a formal look, so you can certainly shear boxwoods. And they're low maintenance, other, although people kind of forget to irrigate them, but... And the up, maybe the ultimate reason is it takes no creativity, no thinking. Good point. Yeah, well, everybody else has got them, and you like the way they look. But if you read Doug Tallamy's book, Bringing Nature Home, you find out that there are things that are more important than what a plant looks like. Uh, if you realize that a boxwood basically is not sustaining any native life at all because it it didn't grow here over the millennia. It was brought in in, you know, less than a couple hundred years ago probably. So it doesn't do our native insect populations any good. Uh, it, it does provide a little shelter probably for for birds and maybe mammals. But they're not eating it. Um, there's there's not much, and he he speaks specifically about insects. Uh, and one of the the questions about gardening these days is, what are you doing for the insect population? Well, most people are terrified of the insect population. Let's put it bluntly. They they think an insect. If there's an insect, ooh, what is that? Where do I what do I spray? That's their their main response. It isn't, what is it doing in the ecosystem and what role does it play? Um, and we got to change that. we got to change that mentality, which means you're going to get away from boxwoods and you're going to be going to, to, to other plants that you can grow, native shrubs, uh, and, 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 you know, and, and maybe you get away from the bright red of the Monarda didyma and you go to the paler um, purple of the bergamot. What happens if next spring... You go to a garden center, and all they have for sale are native plants. I'll be happy. What would people do? That'd be cool. Would they panic? Yeah. Well, we've got, you know, an advertiser on my show, Natural Communities, Native Plants. And the reason he's advertising on the show is that's all he sells. And I, and I said, yeah, that's cool. Let's do that. Let's let people know about that. Again, I think some of it's education. When I think of a lot of my gardener friends who have the flashy, bright plants they bought for colors, et cetera, you say natives, oh, that's like weeds. They don't, they don't. We got to get out of that mentality educated. too. And, 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 and some of that is just part of it is you have to adjust your mindset. It's like mm -hmm. adjusting your mindset to your lawn. The idea of clover, clover is not a weed in my book, okay? And people ask me, how do I kill clover? And I say, why do you want to kill clover? It's putting nitrogen in your ground for free, all right? Why, and, it, and it provides flowers for our pollinators who are in danger. Why would, and it's and tough. And never considered that. And it's tough. You can walk on it, and yeah. it bounces back. It's got all these reasons for being there, but guess what? You've been brainwashed, and I'll say that again. And I say it over and over again because I can't say it enough. We've all been brainwashed by the companies with the money. 
they can get their message out, which is, is unless you have the perfect lawn, which is every blade of grass is the same and the same height, you're a loser. I mean, Donald Trump would be a great spokesperson for for Scots, okay, because he can tell people that they're losers if they don't have a perfect lawn. Um, and Saima's shaking her head on perfect lawns. And and, and that brings in Saima. Uh, Abasi, come on right up to the microphone. You've got to speak right into it. Uh, from Go Green Wilmette. And you've got something called an alternative yard tour going on. Uh, when is that happening? So the alternative yard tour is happening um, next Sunday, uh, July 17th from 9 to noon. Okay. So we have uh, 9 to noon. Next Sunday, so that's good. It's a different. So we have all the people that go to the Uptown Walk on Saturday, and then they go out to go Green Wilmette. Now, um, what what can folks uh, expect to find in the alternative yard tour? Okay, so first of all, the alternative yard tour is um, it's not an ordinary garden walk, and that's why it's called alternative. And there's a yard tour in it. Um, this is people will find all sorts of fun things like rain gardens, uh, native gardens, uh, butterfly gardens, um, composting techniques. They will um, learn how to uh, find ways for rainwater runoff management. Um, it is, um, you know, how to uh, basically be creative mm-hmm. in, in, with your and smart ways of using your backyards. So um, it's all sorts of, you know, fun things that people can, um, you know, there There are, learn, there are pe- people who would say that's not fun, but it is fun to learn it, how it, to be, it, it to garden fun. smart. It is so much fun. And people think that, you know, having a manicured um, garden is the only garden, you know, where you have a lush green lawn. And, you know, I was listening to your um, conversations before, like, you know, having... A typical plants which everyone thinks should be and in your in your garden which will make your garden perfect so these 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 gardens which are on the tour they are not about perfection at all this is about people being creative uh, and they are totally very sustainable minded people and these gardens they in their own words and in other people's words, these are beautiful retreats in Wilmette. So you you can have a, an amazing backyard with with these sustainable features, which are good for 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 them and for for the earth. Are you a gardener yourself? I am, and my journey started actually four years ago. Um, I I've lived in my um, house with I have a nice. Um, backyard and enough space for you know being creative but my journey really started four years ago when I went and visited um, a go green board members garden uh, her vegetable garden <laughs> okay and I was totally inspired by it and I thought okay this is so cool this is so fun and I can uh, this is something I can do and I came home and I was inspired and I you know started my vegetable garden my composting area um you know, over the years now, I've incorporated native plants. And I thought at that time, um, you know, three four years ago, uh, 2013, that this is something, a model that we could have for Go Green Will Met, you know, uh, because Go Green is about um, raising environmental awareness in Will Met and um, at the same time, inspiring people to take action. So um, I thought this would be a great model for us to have as a project for our community. 
and it was just the board members were totally thrilled. They said, go for it. And uh, we then brainstormed and we said, okay, we are not calling it um, a garden walk. It's going to be alternative yards. You know, because <laughs> the, uh, smart ways of using No gardens yards. allowed, no. just alternative <laughs> yards. <laughs> so so that's, that's, the, that's the journey. So yes, I am a gardener now. That's wonderful. Yeah, four years yeah, ago. Uh, how many gardens are on this walk? This walk is going to have six gardens on the tour. And um, right, let me let me let yeah. me stop you right there. Is it because is that's a small number for a garden walk? Is it because it's hard to find people doing sustainable stuff? Well, the first year we had the um, alternative yard tour, we had eight gardens on the tour. Okay. And we thought, you know, we, there's a really interesting um, element that we add to the garden. Uh, walk and that is that we have a, a bike ride where people are going to all these gardens um, with these guided bike groups. So uh, we wanted to make sure that people have enough time oh, to I see, see all the gardens and not discourage them from you know joining a bike bike um, guided tour. I mean, people can go independently to these gardens also, but it's really a great community builder when people are actually on a Sunday morning, no traffic um, on the streets, and you can just go and spend time with these gardeners. And they are each and every um, garden, the yard host is actually going to be there, and they are extremely, extremely passionate people. So it's really, you know, you can spend time and just talk to them and, you know, really absorb. So that's why we don't do too many gardens. Um, All right, that makes total sense then. Because, yeah, you, you if you want people to learn, because, yeah. no offense, Lori, with 95 gardens, there's a lot of folks that are going to breeze in, breeze out, go, oh, that's a nice plant. I saw that one in the other yard. Oh, look, boxwood. Um, and, uh, and not to say that the gardens aren't beautiful, but it's a different mission. Right. You have a mission of saying, I bet you've never seen how to hook up a rain barrel before and and what you need to pay attention to or what's a, a and actually I have a friend uh I need to send information about compost uh she and it, it just popped into my head oh yeah I got that email the other week I'll about take a note. Yeah, take a note because <laughs> she said what kind of compost bin should I have uh you know for my yard and what I wanted to tell her was well what suburb do you live in? Because I don't know. Okay, let me ask you: Does Go Green Wilmet or the City of Wilmet provide uh, standard issue compost bins? No, they don't. Oh no, they don't. And um, it, you know they're um, unfortunately. But well, no, no. that's okay. Now I don't even know if the City of Chicago does anymore. I have one that I got the, the Darth Vader helmets that I got. You know a dozen years ago, and I've been using ever since, and it's still in great shape. Uh, it's not huge, but it does the trick and it keeps the rats out. And I still I actually still have the lid for it and everything, <laughs> which is amazing. And it's not been chewed through. And I'm like, okay, I must be doing something right because something the rat, right. yeah, the rats aren't interested in what I've got in my compost bin. But it's a great, um, almost all the gardens on the tour, they some, you know, they are doing some form of composting, and it's great for people to go and see that uh, that there are different, you know, levels. You don't have to have like, you know, there was one garden one year. There was a three composter bin. 
um, system, you know, with cedar wood and, you know, heavy uh, mesh wire, like really properly built. And then there was another garden on the tour where they just had a pile in one corner of the garden and they had some browns and some, you know, greens and they, the, the composting was going on. And then, you know, the, you have something you can, you know, buy these plastic, big plastic um, yeah. compost bins from the stores and, you know, you and can And it have recycles that. plastic, which is a good thing, you know, right. if you're going to, you, you need something to right. do with that. Right. Uh, I saw a great, uh, and by the way, uh, in Chicago, you can't have just an open compost pile. That's mm-hmm. illegal in Chicago. All right. Uh, it's supposed to be contained. Um, a couple of years ago at oh, one of the um, uh, Chicago Community Gardeners Association um, event, I saw some guys show you how to whip together a compost bin from pallets. And you just put a little wire on the outside, and you go, and you attach them, and you can do it like in 15 minutes. It's just, you know, you just got to have the pallets first, the wood pallets. And at some point, the the wood will break down, and you got to make sure the wood isn't treated so it's not leaching into your uh, compost pile, which is always an issue, too, is like you can't use treated lumber because people go, well, otherwise the lumber is going to rot. Well, yeah. That's true, okay, which is sometimes why people use plastic uh, and have those. Uh, Lori, do you have any what – do what do you tell people when they want to set up a composting pile in Chicago? They really, you know, given the size of the properties, you know, your typical 25 by 125 lot doesn't allow for much, but they need to get a plastic-type container, uh, which usually is the most efficient way, you know, in these small yards. Where, where do you tell them to shop for it? Um Besides online, there are uh, garden centers. Uh, garden centers will carry them, not the big box stores. I've so never the, seen them at the big box now stores. Now, see, there you go. This is an item that the big box store should be carrying. You morons. You know, you're, you're stealing business from the independent garden centers with your plant sales, but you won't carry the one thing that really makes sense for you to carry, which is a composting bin. Because you could put those big plastic things or whatever, or even a kit. You know, how hard would it for they, be? They could even put their name right on the side of you it, and they're could. missing out on it. Ah, don't get me started. I guess you already All did. Right. All right. Sorry about Welcome, that. Welcome, Simon. <laughs> uh, but, but see, but that's part of the issue. So you've got, you know, you want people to come in and and take their time and look at the yes yes and and it's amazing it's so rewarding to see these meaningful conversations um going on right there and we you know and it's so great for go green because you know we we are always trying to get like you know we we work with the library to get you know good speakers to you know come to the library or, you know, have like these educational movies. So we work with the library a lot of times on green. Oh, you do-gooders. Um, <laughs> you, you're just such no, do-gooders. But, but I think what, what this this um, event does is we have these speakers, passionate speakers from the community who are so passionate about their gardens. They are right there talking to uh, other people in the community. And I think people have more, um, you know, they, they are um, more inclined to um, take action when they see other neighbors in the community, um, you know, doing stuff. And they say, okay, this is not that hard. Or, you know, we can do this. And these people, I've noticed, like, okay, I'll give you one amazing example. 
there was this one garden we had on the tour, our inaugural, you know, tour uh, 2013, and this house had flooding issues. A beautiful property, just really nice, but a lot of flooding issues, and they created four rain gardens. Um, they, they did hire um, an, um, you know, landscape architect. Sure. A anyways, so, and it was just really nice for people to come to, and they had the architect, the landscape architect there also at the property. So, you know, she was talking to people. So the, th the second year we had this garden, this woman had uh, gone to this garden the first year and she was having flooding. So she put in this really nice, um, you know, dry creek in her backyard. She had a rain garden, and she says now it. She used to have almost a lake in her backyard, and now she gets not even a puddle. So it was huh. great. Uh, this is a great example that from the you know the same community, one person visiting this garden next year, she has solved her problem. Yeah. And you know, there's no rainwater runoff. You know, she's not sending uh, water to her neighbors or to the street and not, you know, um, uh, to the village sewers. So I think that that was such a great story. And we actually had her come and speak at the library and share her, um, uh, you know, experience. One of the things you learn if you're a gardener uh, is that by working the soil, it allows it to drain properly. Um, Lori and I talked about this on the phone the other day. My neighbor uh, has kids. So the backyard is completely pancaked. It's, it's all compacted soil. So we get a big rain event. There's a lake there. The problem is the side of the house is all uh, concrete, which they put in and put in badly about 15 years ago, 10 years ago. I don't know. But it was put in very badly. So now there's all this water that just sort of pours into my basement. Um, it, it, you know, because it's sitting out there next door. And if you look at my yard, it's, it's all drained, you know, it's going into the soil because I've got plants and I've got friable soil. I also, I, I've directed my rain gutters out into the yard, mm -hmm. uh, trying to keep the, the water out of the, the sewer system. Um, sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't. I've, I've had some backup, but then, but then now if you get Lori and me started on the city working on water mains and things like that, and then how they disrupt the drainage, and then suddenly basements that never got rain or never got flooded are now getting flooded because that happened with me. The city worked on the street, and then suddenly my basement was flooding every other month. Um, it hasn't, let, I'm knocking on, wait, can I, knocking on the beer ding. <laughs> Because it hasn't flooded in a while. Well, they say that the you know resilient cities of um, and towns of the future will be the ones who do not fight water, but they absorb it. Mm -hmm. So you know, we with all the um, green infrastructure, we need to we need to think in terms of you know when we are. Um, I mean, there's all this urban development, such like rapid development going on, all the hardscapes, asphalt and everything. Um, so we, we backyards more and more are just going to be so important for us to, you know, think in terms of um, issues like that. Mm -hmm. it, um, Absolutely. Um, that uh, is uh, Saima Abbasi, and uh, she's with Go Green Will Matt. And by the way, all of this information about uh, the alternative yard tour and Go Green Will Met, which is just gogreenwillmet.org, um, and uh, the Sheffield 
Music Festival and Garden Walk. And I know you've got to get out of here in just a couple of minutes, Lori. Uh, and that, of course, is at SheffieldGardenWalk.com. I think what's what I find interesting interesting is the vestige of how this started as a garden walk. <clears throat> Excuse me, is represented in the URL. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, it's still SheffieldGardenWalk.com. Uh, so that shows you where the real power is. Absolutely. It's in the garden walk. <laughs> but uh, do you want to mention, you probably want to mention some of the other stuff because you've got all kinds of, in addition to music, in addition to the garden walk, you've got architectural tours and kids' corner, church tours, uh, live uh, f- or local food and, and beverage, a, a lot of everything. What do you want to highlight here? Well, I still think, you know, during the daytime, that's really the, uh, the Gardens and the Chicago Craft Beer Festival, which are two things going on simultaneously. There is an admission to the Chicago Craft Beer Festival uh, where they have over 80 different varieties of beer, and that is held at uh, Sheffield and Webster uh, in the parking lot area of the church. Um, and information on how to get a ticket for that is also online. But looking at some of the newer gardens, we have over one-third of the exhibitors this year are new exhibitors, which kind of shows you a revitalization of the neighborhood. But a number of those newer gardens, and I've seen most of them already, uh, are really interesting, and they don't carry the usual boxwood and hosta look that you see throughout the Lincoln Park area. One garden in particular uh, is our neighborhood park, Treves Park, where I established a butterfly garden there last year in conjunction with Oscar Mayer's school as a learning tool uh, where kids during the uh, school session can learn about the plants that attract butterflies and so forth, and and that's also been very, very popular and is an award-winning garden. Uh, That's the other thing you should know about. If you go into the Sheffield area um, and you see public gardens on the street it's a, there's a good chance Lori had something to do with it um while we're on the subject of the butterfly garden let's give some people something to hang their hat on here when you're planting butterfly gardens what plants do you like to put in there well the the ones you know you you want to get the butterflies need foliage for their larva to eat they need a green plant to lay their eggs on and they need flowers for nectar so you start with milkweeds, uh, the common milkweed plant, swamp milkweed, uh, will give you, uh, they're easy to grow and uh, they're becoming more available. Uh, that's true, isn't it? Yeah. Then there is the, uh, plant that's commonly called the butterfly weed, which is a flowering perennial with orange flowers and, it and, pre- and swamp, uh, that's the pink one, isn't it's it? The, the Asclepsia tuberosa is the orange flowered one right no that's butterfly weed but the first one you yes. were talking about yes, that's swamp, yes. the swamp milkweed yes. is the pink that's yeah. correct and the orange one is sclepsia tuberosa has the nice orange flowers which are decorative and is a great great source of uh, pollen for the or nectar for the butterflies as well as your echinacea and liatris which are beautiful summer blooming plants with purple flowers and there are different looks to them they're easy to grow since they're natives, and uh, you can also have the black-eyed Susans uh, and another great flower 
which is an, another native uh, cardinal flower, Lobelia cardinalis. Uh, you need wet feet for that, though, don't you? But not necessarily. I grow it in my garden, and trust really? me, I don't have wet feet. I grow it in the community garden, which doesn't get watered all the time. Wow. I've, I've, I've had trouble keeping it going. I've never had luck with them either. Wet, dry, sunny shade, I've they never had, come back. I've had tremendous luck with them. Hmm. hmm. Okay. I do have a swamp milkweed question. Yellow aphids all over the stems. They've taken over oh, in the no. last week. No. Now, are, I, I just usually leave that stuff there, but is any idea why they're suddenly on the milk? Uh, just the, the, the milkweed. milkweed. Yep. That's a very good question, but aphids, uh, there are a lot of beneficial insects in the garden, and I'm kind of surprised that if you have an aphid infestation, there aren't uh, plenty of predators that would love to uh, have a meal on aphids. Yeah, because I have ants farming aphids on other plants, but these yellow ones are just off by themselves and nobody's touching them. I am surprised. That's interesting. Now, have you had that in past years? No. You know what I find out what I find with aphids is that you'll have an infestation for a while and then it's gone. In a couple of weeks yeah. it usually d- disappears. Yeah, one day and not and, and and well, and it might be because the predators come out. And and, and cuz you have I know that you're a good gardener and you probably have, you don't spray, you don't, you know, you've got a lot of native plants and if you got that uh you're going to be fine. Uh, Lori's uh, ducking out of here. Lori Lewis, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Mike, for having me again. It's always a pleasure to have you here, buddy. Uh, and good luck with the Sheffield uh, 48th Annual Sheffield Music Festival and Garden Walk. Again, it's Saturday and Sunday, July 23rd and 24th, noon to 10 p.m. Uh, daily. And uh, it's on Sheffield Avenue between Webster and Fullerton in Chicago. And he's... Uh, He's running out the door. George, you can take his seat because he's he's going, oh, wait, wait. You probably have one of these, don't you? Chicago Land Gardening Magazine? Yeah, he's got it. <laughs> he's got and, his back of them. And my lovely plant identification flowchart on the back. I don't know if you've seen but that yet. Simon hasn't. Oh, well, Simon, you can have one of those. And okay. uh, before Lori leaves, I just uh, texted one of my coworkers at the garden, and it actually turns out that wild parsnip has popped up the last year. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So we'll see how that so you goes. So you got zebra mussels and you got wild parsnip. What's going on at the Chicago Botanic Garden? Uh, man. All right. All right, we have uh, a couple of others, um, a couple of other garden walks, and uh, that came across. And one, Mr. Brownthumb sent me yesterday, and it here's the here's the problem. It says it's uh, it's it's at the Village of Elmwood Park, and he says he got a notice of it, and it says that their garden walk will be held Saturday, July thirteenth, from ten a.m. to three p.m. Here's the problem. The 13th is Wednesday. So I'm assuming it's the 16th. Uh, and you might want to talk to the Elmwood Park uh, folks and 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 see, and see really uh, what's going on there. Uh, you can go to uh, elmwoodpark.org, and uh, they will have, obviously, more information. So, But I wanted, you know, I said if you send me information about a garden walk, I will get it out. Let's see. Uh, Garden Opus has Garden Club of Villa Parks Walk, July 17th. So July 17th, that would be next Sunday. Yes, at homegardening.org. Okay, that's cool. 
Um, July 30th is the uh, Sugar Beet Co-op Edible Garden Tour. Right, right. Yeah, I saw that come in. I'm trying to find that. I got so many email, uh, and not emails, but uh, tweets here. They're hiding out in the tweets. Do you know of any other Sima coming up on the North Shore? Well, um, I know that Glenview had um, a garden walk, which is already done. And that was kind of modeled after the Go Green uh, alternative yard tour. So I think this was their inaugural. And then um, not uh, there was a North Shore garden club walk, which, you know, I attended. But I can't think of any that are coming up. Yeah, we're kind of getting past some of them. Well, this is actually like prime time. I mean, I, although I'm always surprised that there aren't more garden walks in May. And I think they do it because they're afraid the weather is going to be cold. But I'm telling you, the garden, my garden, always looks best in May. Um, there's just flat out. It's And, yeah, and a lot of stuff hasn't bloomed yet, but a lot of stuff is blooming. And, and a lot of these garden walks happen in July. And you never see any of the bulbs, and you don't see the spring ephemerals, uh, and and that's some of the best stuff. Yeah, like my my, uh, spring ephemerals are kind of like, you know, dying Mm -hmm. uh, right now, so July. But, um, you know, for us, the reason we have, you know, a big part of our uh, tour is the vegetable garden. And, you know, the produce, a lot of... um, you know, vegetables are kind of, you know, activity is there. So I'm I'm glad you brought that up again, because that's such an interesting uh, uh, development in gardening is putting your veggies in with your perennials and annuals. And I did that this year. I I, I haven't put in annuals in forever. I can't remember the last time, except for a container or two. You know, um, and why would you, right? Because I'm just thinking that annuals just, um, they take up so much more water. You know, I mean, the perennials are, they are so efficient with um, water. You know, they take, you, you have to water them less. And also, they, I mean, all the benefits you were talking about, the perennials, especially the natives. Um, you know, and I was also reading that lawns, for example, you know, the grass has really shallow roots. Right. And the perennials and natives and trees, they have these deep roots, so they absorb more water and uh, carbon. You know, so they, they are really good um, carbon sinks. Um, for, I, mean, for, I mean, another reason why would you have plants that are not doing much for your garden? Yeah. And I, and I was reading this really interesting thing that, um, you know, there is this efficient ecosystem services that sustainable gardens provide and traditional gardens are not very efficient at that and and so um these um you know efficient um services of um ecosystems like what is that and the example that i just gave you Mm -hmm. like trees are nature gives these services for free so these um gardens the sustainable gardens are very efficient at that. So, you know, having um, trees, native trees, um, like Doug um, Tellamy, you just mentioned right. you know, Doug Tellamy, um, having a native a tree um, like oak, oak tree, provides more than 543 different kinds of caterpillars. You know, it's and it's ha- just caterpillars. Habitat yeah, for caterpillars, just, just right. Caterpillars. And then a ginkgo, yeah. a ginkgo tree, for example, 
maybe one, one caterpillar. So, you know, um, we... That's we, okay, because uh, I, I killed my ginkgo tree last year. How I, did you do that? I know, but you can't... Ki- by accident. I didn't do it on purpose. It just died. I It, sm- it got smothered by another non-invasive is uh, what I'm pretty sure what happened. I just don't even know, because you're not supposed to be able to kill ginkgos, and I managed to kill a ginkgo. And, and, and I've actually had some people say... Well, that's not so bad because it doesn't support a whole lot of uh, native life. So, right, right. Uh, you know, they're wonderful trees and they survive in in urban settings. Uh, and that's the good news. Uh, but you mentioned the food also. And I, I'm looking for the sugar beet co-op. I just know that it's on the 30th. And I went to their website and I can't find anything about it. Uh, Peggy, you can go and see if you can do it. But that's their edible uh, garden tour. And that's a great thing, you know. Ju- it's a great to, thing. Just to have an edible right. garden. Um, uh, and as I said, I, you know, I, instead of annuals now, my annuals are my vegetables. And you might as well, if you're going to use water right. to keep something going, do it on something that's going to give back. Yes. That you're going to you're going to take the water back in by eating it. Yeah. So I was saying that, you know, like in my in my vegetable garden, for example, I when I am growing um, lettuce leaves um, or I hate to go and buy lettuce in a plastic bag or a plastic box and, you know, grocery stores. The, I mean, they, that's we're how, all we're I mean, all we're all terrified of our own shadows. We're afraid we're all going to get poisoned. We're going to get E. coli every time. You're more likely, it seems to me, to get E. coli when they bag it than when they don't. But I don't know that that's a fact. I'm, you know, but I just I'm with you. Everything is in plastic now. Going to places like Trader Joe's, everything's wrapped in plastic. Right. Uh, but you found it. Yeah. Okay. Tell me a little bit about the event. Well, according to brown paper tickets, because I cannot find it on the Sugar Beets site, uh, the event is July 30th from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Starts at the Sugar Beet Food Co-op, 812 Madison in Oak Park. And uh, it's a tour of private gardens, learning about agriculture, backyard gardening, and getting inspired to grow your own food. Cycling from garden to garden is encouraged. No dogs, please. (laughs) <laughs> really? No, you don't want dogs um, uh, messing with your vegetables, okay? Uh, so if you Google brown paper tickets, you can get there. Uh, for some reason, unknown to me, it is not on the Sugar Beets website. Okay. We tried Sugar Beet, but we're still giving you the plug here, so I'm, uh, and we're happy to do it. Uh, Saima Abbasi, thank you so much for coming into the studio. Uh, and Thank you. This was a pleasure. And, you know, speaking to passionate people like you who are, you know, care about the environment. And um, I um, think that you're doing a great service. to Chicago's only deep green gardening and environmental show, the Mike Novak Show, for 19 years now. Still going strong on Q4 Radio, 1680 AM. And see how we get all that out in one thing. All right, uh, take it away, Peggy. You're a gardener, and you've heard over and over again how important it is to help our pollinators by putting native plants in your garden. Uh, Yes, I have heard that, yes. We were just talking about that. Yeah, we were, weren't we? But yet, you really haven't figured out how to make the switch. It can be a little intimidating, right? Because you can never find the plants you want. And, And you'd really like some advice to go with those trilliums and shooting stars, wouldn't you? Well, fear no more. Natural Communities native plants are here, and you can get them online at naturalcommunities.net. Natural Communities native plants are locally grown and sourced, featuring more than 150 species native to the Chicago region. They have convenient online shopping and mail delivery, but they also appear at local green events where you can get those questions answered. 
So garden with plants that have thousands of years of natural design behind them and that have been working for thousands of years with our local pollinators and other fauna. Garden with native plants. And in Chicagoland, the way to do that is with Natural Communities Native Plants. Go to naturalcommunities.net. Rick DeMaio weather coming up. Stick around for that. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. This is Heather Fry. Every time I open up an issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, I know I'm going to learn something. And that's in spite of Mike Novak's column on the inside back page. If you've ever read it, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, in Chicagoland Gardening, you might pick up some knowledge in one of the excellent feature articles or in one of the regular departments like Ask the Garden Pros or the Regional Reports or What to Do in the Garden. Or you might be inspired by one of the luscious photos. And Chicagoland Gardening Magazine is just one of 21 different publications of state-by-state gardening. Wherever you live in the Midwest or the South, State-by-State Gardening has a magazine for you. They feature articles by some of the leading gardening experts in each state, including famous authors, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, even Mike. Subscribe today by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. That's 888-265-3600. Trying to weather the housing market? Consider replacing your windows and siding. Remodeling Magazine says they're some of the nation's most popular projects today. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling and energy needs. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in the Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy, because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to live healthier lives, and Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings, it's the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even healthy pets. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to help keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Chicago and suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us online at nachicagonorth.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Literally, you are my sunshine. When I uh, when I speak to Rick DeMaio, he'll be here in just a second. But before we get to Rick, we got to remind people that uh, this Wednesday is a big do and big event, right? Yeah, it's the screening of the documentary At the Fork, 
which we are both co-sponsoring along with Family Farmed, Humane Society of the U.S., Whole Foods Market, Crate Free Illinois, um, Illinois Stewardship Alliance, and several other groups. You can still buy your tickets online for three days. You don't want to miss this. It's, it's a documentary really getting into how our farm animals are raised it's not going to make you a vegan. It might, but it's not. That's not the <laughs> intent. Is this that? Is that your goal? No, Peggy. You no. want people to become vegans? No, no. It's it's an educational film of the filmmaker and his wife's journey into discovering where our food is coming from, especially how our animals are being treated, and some options. And when it's over, we have a panel discussion. Right. Well. You're going to really be interested in the panel discussion. There's some great folks that are going to be there, and and yeah, it's the film is about the choices we make and and it's the same thing when you do when you put stuff on your lawns or or the plants you choose for your yard whether you choose to grow vegetables or not or um uh as Sima was uh was uh, saying earlier uh uh annuals and they suck up a lot of water i mean everything has consequences and one of the consequences there there are huge consequences from eating meat um i'm not telling you to be a vegan either because i'm not I'm not one. I'm not a vegetarian, uh, but I but I really am starting to pay really close attention to. We saw you sent me an article the other day about about Purdue is is trying to clean up its act, uh, but it's like trying to you know move the Titanic around. It's it's going to take them a long time, and I wonder if right now if it's just a little bit of greenwashing. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, Purdue did announce uh, in the last week of June. Purdue chickens, Purdue farms. That not they, the University of yes, Purdue. Not right. Purdue. Sorry, I should. <laughs> that, that, that's that. the place that feeds marigolds to their chickens. Frank Purdue, remember those old commercials? Right. Yeah, we treat our treat our hens nicely. Well, unfortunately, in 2014, there was that documentary guy. Uh, actually, the one of the Purdue farmers had allowed filmmakers to come in and shoot what was happening at Purdue yeah. with all their contract farmers. So, long story short. Um, Purdue, which had announced in 2002 they were phasing out antibiotics, has now said that they're going to be putting, um, allowing more daylight and more darkness in the hen houses, um, putting in straw bales and perches and places for the birds to land. Well, because they stand shoulder to shoulder, and, and the on only each thing, other. right, yeah. only thing holding them up is each other. Yeah, and I. It's going to take them a long time to do that. A yeah. lot of it has to do with money, and it has to do with the fact they use contract farmers. And this has to ripple through all of the contracted farmers that aren't corporate-owned. So these people still have to pay for it. Yeah. But the thing Purdue can control is their slaughterhouses. And one of the, the things I was reading in a couple of the articles about Purdue is the way chickens are slaughtered now, they're usually alive. And this is to gas them first. Euthanize them Euthanize before, them before, and yeah. then process them. So, getting back to this, Wednesday, July thirteenth, seven o'clock at the AMC River East Twenty One Theaters. Go to MikeNovak.net right on the homepage, right at the top. You can click on to get your tickets. Peggy and I will be there. And George is going to be there. And George is going to be there. So tweeting away. Yeah, that's right. Instagramming away. All right, let's bring in Rick DeMaio. I believe you're there, Rick. Yeah. Good morning, Mike. I'm listening to a very a uh, very riveting conversation. I'm not going to have chicken today, that's for sure. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Score one You know, birds. it's Meatless Sunday. How about that? Meatless Sunday? 
Haven't you ever heard of Meatless Monday? On your your calendar that you got from St. Timothy's Church, is that it? I I, I don't know. Uh, There's Meatless (laughs) Monday. Um, uh, Mr. DeMaio, uh, one other thing I want to mention here is, uh, before we get into the heat wave uh, that you information that you sent me yesterday, which is, of course, Mm -hmm. disturbing. Um, The other disturbing thing is about our monarch population. What we've been looking at in terms of the monarchs is uh, how, because we're we're wiping out milkweed, it's been a problem, and there have been Mm -hmm. uh, climate, you know, the heat and drought is not good for monarchs when they're trying to migrate. Obviously, Texas and the Southwest and the Plain States are where they migrate. And if, if it, if it's too hot and dry things that, you know, mm-hmm. that's not good for them. And now we're discovering that there's uh, logging going on in, uh, in Mexico that's wiping out where they overwinter. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, they sent some drones there. To, to take a look at this because for some reason uh, folks couldn't get into to the area and it's just uh, very, very frustrating. Uh, so monarchs are, and if, if you look around anecdotally, I haven't seen a monarch yet this year. Anybody in the room, has anybody seen a monarch? You have, George has, you I, have too, I, Simon. Okay. I think I, I think I've seen maybe a couple. I'm, I'm in, I'm in actually, um, I'm in Charleston, South Carolina today, visiting friends on the way back from Florida and Mike, I didn't see any monarchs down in Florida. I certainly haven't seen them yet here in Charleston. But as a master gardener, you would definitely love this area. There's a lot of green and a lot of variations of many of the colors as well. Uh, I'll bet it's beautiful. It's got to be. Uh, you're you're having a whirlwind tour of the United States recently. <laughs> well, you know me. I usually I usually um, you know whether it's with Rebecca and the kids who will be doing something in a couple of weeks, heading back out to Pennsylvania and the Jersey Shore, or coming down here which was originally scheduled with my son to visit my parents, but he had other stuff to do at the last minute. Um, I've never been through Charleston and uh, driving through, um, you know, the wetlands area um, and the low line areas, as they like to call them, the marshlands. It's it's absolutely beautiful. And, man, talk about nature and ecology and environment all wrapped up in one. And then then I took, you know, a little short walk along the beach this morning, and I was talking to my friend. I go, you know, this is the area, Isle of Palms, which was where Hurricane Hugo came through in 1989. I go, I go. It's amazing that that um, these houses, you know, look as good as they did. He goes, well, those are all new homes. The ones that were destroyed were about a half block away. And ever since that whole area was changed, the you know the landscape back in 1989, instead of keeping the dunes and the sand the way it was, they just used that land to build a whole nother row of homes. So you think they would have learned the lesson and they didn't. And and you look at the shoreline and, and the dunes, just like has occurred in parts of, of Evanston and we'll met along the beaches there have been eroded away almost five or six feet in some areas. And you're thinking to yourself, all it's going to take is another category for a hurricane. And you're looking at another, you know, 50, $60 billion storm, but it, it's amazing how stubborn humans are when, you know, when, when catastrophic weather events space themselves out every 25 years, we think after 24, we're fine. Yeah. And then year 25 comes along and all of a sudden something happens and they go, maybe we shouldn't have done that. But, you know, some of these people pay upwards of fifteen to $20,000 a year just to loan for flood insurance. So, so the insurance companies are probably going, you know, putting their hands over their eyes going, 
Yeah, you can build as long as you have flood insurance. I, I don't know if that's a good way of. Well, some places a good you. Way of, I, th- I think someplace you can't get flood insurance, uh, you know, and, and the same thing happens along the Mississippi, as you know, Rick, they people, mm-hmm. they plant on the floodplain or, 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 or build on the floodplain there. And then they have these storms and you know about it and the Mississippi right. floods and, and wipes out the homes and then they come back and do it all over again. And I, I, I don't know what to say to those people, except I don't have a lot of sympathy. No, no. When, when something does happen, the first thing you think about is, oh, my God, that's terrible. But that entire row of homes wasn't even there back in 1989. And it's just, it's just you know, I don't know, you scratch your head. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, speaking of monarchs, I've only been down here about 12 hours, though, so I've not seen as... as <laughs> well, you're I've not leaving until you see one, okay? And you... it was dark for part of that time. <laughs> well, uh, but, but I did find the story here, um, and very briefly, okay. because it's a little disturbing, um, mm-hmm. there is um, uh, legal loggers, uh, according to uh, the story on Take Part, is the uh, the website... Uh, have completely deforested a large portion of the most important site for monarch butterfly, new research reveals. Um, The uh, logging took place in the monarch butterfly biosphere reserve where 10 hectares or approximately 25 acres of vitally important trees have been cut down over the past year, according to a paper published in the American Entomologist. Um, lead author and noted monarch researcher Lincoln Brower of Sweetbriar College, who studied, has studied the butterflies in the region since 1977, called the logging a catastrophe. The monarch, mm. uh, and, and apparently they sent drones in to, to see this, um, and he's wondering how this illegal activity could have gone unnoticed. He says 10 hectares is a lot of wood. You can't have yeah. Oh, yeah. huge trucks removing all of this wood without knowledge of what's going on. Um, it really questions the governor, governance of the reserve, and it sounds like, yeah, to me it sounds like corruption and somebody's looking the other way while they come in and, and log it. But the problem is there's no other place the monarchs go. So once you cut down those forests, they're done, okay? The monarchs are gone. All right. And um, the buffer zone, as they write, uh, which has experienced logging in the past, has already lost some of its potential to protect the butterflies. A massive storm, you'll appreciate this, Rick, a massive storm ripped through the area in March, killing millions of monarchs just as they were starting their annual migration north. The wind blew so hard that it completely homogenized the temperature throughout the area, Brower said. The microclimate protection provided by the trees was completely eliminated. Experts don't know exactly how many monarchs died in the storm, but estimates range from 30% to 50% of the entire population. So, yeah, and, and when you hear stuff like that, you just realize how important it is um, to make sure you know, some of the woodlands and some of the wetlands um, are conserved to, to the nth degree possible because you never know how imbalanced you're going to make that particular ecological, you know, biome or ecosystem. And, and one of the things that's amazing down here in, in, the, in the Charleston area, Mike, is when you do get away from the beaches, um, you see all these areas where they've, they've preserved the wetlands and they've preserved, you know, the lowlands and the marsh and, and possibly more so because you can't build on it, you know, so they're not dummies. They probably say, well, since we can't build on it, let's preserve it. But, but I think also when, when you do preserve something like that, there's that little, you know, 
you know, nut of education that people, I think, you know, glean something off of, which is, this is really cool. This is really important. And even though they had the massive flooding down here, if you remember, it was um, Tropical Storm. I forget the name of it. It began with a letter J. I forget the one that actually came up into South Carolina last year and gave, you know, the, the mountainous areas, you know, massive flooding. But this area actually was able to soak up a lot of the floodwaters, mainly due to the fact that their marsh area and their low-lying wetlands absorbed it. That's not the case in Louisiana. We just talked about it before. A lot of their wetlands and a lot of the Delta has basically been uh, removed from a lot of engineering uh, due to the oil fields and some of these canals. So when you look at some of these marshes and people drive by and they go, well, there's nothing in there but a bunch of mud and some grass. It's a really important part of keeping everything in balance. It really is. And, of course, you sent me the information about how in June – uh, oh, yeah. We had the hottest mm-hmm. June on record for the contiguous U.S., um, mm-hmm. uh, according to... Yeah, break, uh, breaking, breaking the 1933 June record, which was right along the, you know, during that same time period as the, um, as the Dust Bowl. So when it, whenever you break records that were established in the 30s, this was a big record. This was, this was huge. So, yeah, I think um, from what I remember, I don't have the data in front of me, uh, but the, that month for the U.S. alone, just the land base, was 3.2 degrees above above the long-term normal, which goes back to um, 1880. And, and the hottest weather was in the desert southwest. Clearly, it wasn't here in the Midwest because we'd be right. complaining about it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you, you know there, were, there were temperatures that got up above 120 degrees in the middle of June. And here you have another, you know, two months of, of summer to go through. Uh, and, and, and part of that heat has been stuck out there and obviously has pushed into the southeast because the last couple of days I drove through Jacksonville, Florida yesterday. And, you know, my car thermometer said 102, which really meant it was 100. But, boy, when you stepped out just to go to the gas station to do some, you know, some, you know, little quick rest up, you thought to yourself, my God, this is hot. And not only was it hot at 3 o'clock, but it was hot at 10 in the morning. And it was hot until 10 at night. And you think about the drain on the electrical system. I thought to myself, if there's one way to really piss off a lot of people is turn off the air conditioning. <laughs> and, and what would happen if one of these plants all of a sudden had a malfunction, you know, talking about, you know, the ability to preserve, you know, peace during this obviously an unrestful summer, which we've had. Uh, I lived through the blackout of 1978 in New York City in the summertime, and and I, I just I just think in the back of my mind, what would happen if you get into one of these long heat waves and next thing you know, something happens in one of these electrical power plants? Um, it would make a lot of people unhappy in a very, very short period of time. We seem to be overly rely on this and take it for granted. Uh, but, boy, the hot summer across the southeast has been going on for about a month now. Yeah. Well, well it's, you know, it's the equivalent of whacking them upside the head with a two-by-four. Uh, you know, if you take out the air conditioning, maybe they will pay attention to the fact that the planet's uh, warming up a bit. Yeah, yeah, and 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 every once in a while, I ask people. I go, "Do you realize how much money we spend on 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 air conditioning? The cost of air conditioning in the summertime is almost twice as much as what we spend on heating our homes in the wintertime. Um, it's a lot of money, and a lot of that air conditioning comes from electricity." produced by burning coal so whenever we think about the fact that we need to run the air conditioner more and we need to have a more electricity the first thing we think about is obviously burning more coal and 40 percent of our electricity um, the united states comes from burning coal and unless we figure out a way of burning cleaner coal with more efficient plants 
this ends up having a positive feedback on the warming of the Earth's atmosphere due to human, you know, human activity. So these are all the things that you kind of have to think about in the back of your mind. Every once in a while you go, eh, you know, do I need the air at 68 or can I live with it at 72? Yeah, well. And, and, and you know, it, it just goes to show when people get comfortable with air conditioning, they leave it the way it is and that's how they want it. Yeah, it's true. Um, I'm all off, often frustrated when it's, you know, 70 degrees outside and I'm walking down the street and you hear the air conditioning kick on in somebody's apartment right. and it's because right. they're not paying any attention. They're just it's it's they're uh, in uh, in uh, in default mode there. Uh, well, uh, what what do we got coming up in Chicago here, Rick? Uh, so yesterday, beautiful day. Seventy eight was the high. Winds off the Lake Dew Points in the low fifties today. Eighty two for high. Uh, there's a big line of thunderstorms moving southeast out of Minnesota, which I don't think is going to get to Chicago tonight. But you'll see some high thin clouds kind of blow off. Uh, and probably dim the sky later in the afternoon. The temperatures today, again, very comfortable. Lake Michigan warming up nicely. The mid-lake buoy is now up to 66. That's about 5 degrees warmer than it was last year. Near-shore temperatures are in the low 70s. So with the northeast wind today, you go to the beach, it's a nice day, and the, and the lake water is probably about 70 degrees. So perfect beach weather today. A little bit warmer tomorrow, probably low 80s, warmer on Monday or Tuesday, mid to upper 80s, and then probably close to 88 to 90 for a high on Wednesday. Increasing levels of humidity. And, Mike, this is, I think, the fourth week in a row I've said this. We keep getting into these patterns where we warm up, we cool down with a little bit of rain comes through, and we go back into a warmer pattern. And it seems to be that's we're going to go into again this weekend, or at least I should say once this weekend ends, we go into the work week. So increasing levels of humidity, best chance of rain, probably not until Tuesday and into Wednesday, and then some cooler weather comes back at us by the end of the week. But overall, so far the summer has been doing pretty well for us, rain-wise and temperature-wise as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I can't complain. I think the, it's been really good for my vegetables uh, out yeah, back, you know, as long as you get a little bit of rain every now and then, it it really does mm-hmm. the trick. And I like the way the people down here in, in South Carolina call roaches palmetto bugs. Okay, yeah, this it just seems to sound better, you know. It just and and while I was down in Florida, real quick, there was a big cockroach that was dead in in the in the in the, in the garage. I go, Ma, look at that big cockroach. It's already dead. You can see a line on his back. It was dead. And my, what does my mother do? What, is, what, is, what does any older person do once they find a cockroach that's dead in the house? They step on it. So she goes and she steps on it. I go, Ma, it's already dead. No, now it's dead. It's almost like double tap. Sells, it's oh, almost like she sells good that she ended up killing it twice, you know? Uh, but she goes, that's not a cockroach. That's a palmetto bug. I'm like, okay, that's what they call them down here. Uh, I, I just uh, have yeah, to good. step on this palmetto bug. Uh, well, have uh, enjoy uh, some uh, uh, palmetto stomping, and uh, we'll <laughs> talk to you next week from Chicago. Have a good week, everybody. All right, thanks, Rick. <laughs> bye, bye. Uh, the Palmetto Cap. The, well, it is the Palmetto State, isn't it? I believe that uh, South Carolina is the Palmetto State. I mean, we we can look it up. I'm sure we don't have have time uh, to do that because we're basically uh, at the end of the show here. Uh, as a matter of fact, I got a little something that uh, that I, w- I want to add here. Kind of my theme. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up here. Peggy Malecki, thank you for being here. Thank you, Mike. George Brigandi, thank you. Pleasure for being here. Uh, Saima Abasi is still hanging out. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
And we got like this is like uh, we'll, we'll we'll take it up to the end. I don't know if we're gonna get cut off by Q4 here. We might, but uh, you know Muppets music says it perfectly. Uh, join us next week on the Mike Novak Show on Q4 Radio. At this point, I just say, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler. Oh, uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. 